Thank you for downloading this podcast by Sheikh Ridwan Ibn Salim. For more podcasts, videos and articles, go to civilizations.org.uk. The topic of this lecture is the prophecy of the beast in the Quran. Welcome everyone. Welcome brothers and sisters from High Wycombe. Uh, good to have you here today. Today the topic is the Dab, the, the beast, which is a prophecy that's mentioned in the Quran. Uh, so it's one of the few prophecies of the end times that is explicitly mentioned in the Quran. I'm not talking about um, alluded things. There may be many allusions, uh, you know, meanings that we can draw, but this is something that is explicitly mentioned in the Quran. So that's what makes it very important for us. And also because in the Sahih Hadith that we have about uh, end times, events of end times, the beast is almost always mentioned amongst those major signs. So hence we can say that the beast is a very important phenomenon, a very important prophecy of end times, but we don't hear many people talking about it. You hear people talking about Dajjal, yeah? you may hear people talking about Yajuja, but hardly anyone talking about the beast. And I think mainly because um, there's, there's People don't, you know, people don't know what to make of it. And um, so today, inshallah, we are going to spend some time and uh, probably give you um, a theory about the beast and the emergence of the beast, which you may not have come across before, uh, but something to reflect upon. Um, but clearly, it's it's extremely important event, or clearly it's a very important uh, a creation uh, uh, to, to actually be mentioned in the Quran as a prophecy uh, for the end times. Uh, to begin with, we're just going to quickly review the hadith of Fatima bint Qais that we saw last time in the Dajjal class, because this hadith uh, is very directly linked to the beast as we are going to uh, set it forward today. So if you remember, this is the famous hadith, uh, which is in the Sahih, which is about the island. It's often called the hadith of Tamim al-Dari. Tamim al-Dari is the uh, Christian um, Arab who converted to Islam. And when he came to Medina and he converted to Islam, uh, he told the Prophet about an event that happened to them uh, when they went to the island and everything. Um, and the Prophet then immediately gathered the people after the prayer. So, um, and then uh, the Prophet actually told the Muslims, the assembled Muslims, about what Tamim Adari had told him. So, this is quite amazing in, in so several respects. Firstly, it must have been a very important thing for the Prophet to gather all the Muslims after the prayer, because most hadith that we have are from one Sahabi or two, you know, certain things that certain Sahaba have. But this is, you've got now hundreds, you know, you've got all the Sahaba gathered there uh, to listen to this, yeah, first of all. 
Um, and secondly, just for those who are interested in the Hadith sciences, this is one of the very rare type of Hadith, actually, which is the Prophet ﷺ is relating from someone else. Because nearly every Hadith is someone people are narrating from the Prophet ﷺ. Um, but this is the Hadith. It's narrating from the Prophet, but he's narrating from uh, Tamim al-Dari, uh, interestingly. So the, the, this, uh, the, the hadith is narrated by Fatima bint Qais, uh, a female Sahabi. So as you can see, she says, you know, she's describing the incident. <coughs> I went out to the mosque and prayed behind the Prophet ﷺ. The reason why we're focusing on this hadith is because according to some of the earliest opinions from the Sahaba, uh, the, the beast that is mentioned in the Quran, the Daba, is the same Jassasa mentioned here in this hadith. And this hadith is called Jassasa. And uh, this was the opinion of Abdullah ibn Umar, anhu, who, as you know, is one of the most uh, leading of people of knowledge of the younger Sahaba. Uh, so from the younger generation of Sahaba that were teaching for many, many years uh, after the Prophet Abdullah ibn Umar ranks as, if not number one, as one of the top few in knowledge. So he said that the Daba mentioned in the Quran is the Jasasa mentioned in this narration. And this is the opinion that I'm going to go with for the purpose of our class today. This is the, the theory that we're going to build upon. So that's why we want to uh, also understand this hadith properly. Um, so when the Prophet ﷺ had finished his prayer, he sat on the pulpit, the member, and said, everyone should stay in his place. So after the prayer, normally you go back to your business, but he said, no, stay. In other words, he's going to talk to them. He's going to give them a khutbah. Uh, and he was smiling. And he said, do you know why I asked you to assemble? They said, Allah and His Messenger know best. Uh, so then the Prophet says the following. I've kept you here because Tamim al-Dari, a Christian man who has become Muslim, told me something which agrees with what I have told you about Dajjal. Because the Prophet has been telling his, the Muslims about Dajjal, about Dajjal, many things. And then when Tamim Adari has come from a foreign place, he's never been to Medina before. He's then told the Prophet all these things about Dajjal, which the Prophet has already been telling them. So in a way, it's an affirmation of uh, the truth of what the Prophet was saying as well. Which is why the Prophet ﷺ was also happy. He, he, said, he actually said that, I was happy. You know? Um, so what happened? Tamim al-Dari sailed in a ship with 30 men from Banu Lakham and Banu Judam. These are the Arab Christian tribes on the north of Arabia. <laughs> and they were lost in the sea for one month until they finally came to an island at their time of sunset. They landed on the island and were met by a beast who was so hairy. So this is the beast, the Jasasa. 
who was so hairy that they could not tell its front from its back. They said, Woe to you, what are you? He said, I am Al Jassasa. They said, What is Al Jassasa? So, Jassasa, uh, probably some of you know, anyone know what the root word of Jassasa is? Spying, yeah, from, from the Arabic. Um, Jassasa is from the root, that means Tajassus is to spy. And. Um, the word, the, word the, the term is used in the Quran, Surah Al-Hujurat as well, you should not spy on one another, like Jassasu and so on. Uh, it's, it's forbidden for us, you know, as Muslims, to spy on one another in, in the Quran, you know. Um, <coughs> interestingly, the, the Quran forbids spying, yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, they said, oh people, go to the man in the monastery for he's very eager to know about you. And then they named a person because we were afraid lest it be a devil. Tamim said, we quickly went to the monastery. And there we found a huge man with his eyes tied up to his neck and with iron shackles on his legs. So he was, uh, he was huge in size, a man, but with these iron uh, shackles. Um, so obviously this is the Dajjal. Um, and they said to this man, woe, woe to you, who are you? He said, you will soon know about me, tell me who you are. They said, we are people from Arabia. We sailed in a ship, but the waves have been tossing us about for a month, and they brought us to your island. Then we met this beast that was so hairy that we could not tell its front from its back. And then we asked what it is, and he said, I'm Al-Jassasa, and, uh, and he sent us to you. The man said, tell me about the date palms of Baysan. We said, what do you want to know about them? He said, I want to know whether, there are, whether these trees bear fruit or not. He said, yes. He said, soon they will not bear fruit. So he then tells them a few things that will happen uh, before the end of time. So the tree, the date palms of Baysan will become barren. Um, and the lake of Tabaria, this is the Tiberias Lake, also known as the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee, sea of Galilee which is obviously mentioned in the Bible with Jesus and everything. So he said, soon there will be no water in it. In other words, it will dry up. And uh, he asked about the spring of Zuhar and whether there is water in it. But then he doesn't say that will dry up. And then he asked, tell me about the unlettered prophet. What has he done? Obviously about the prophet Muhammad is known as a Nabi Alumni unlettered prophet. So they told him he has left Mecca and settled in Yathrib. He said, do the Arabs fight against him? They said, yes. He said, how does he deal with them? So we told him that the Prophet ﷺ had overcome the Arabs around him and that they had followed him. He asked, has it really happened? We said, yes. He said, it is better for them if they follow him. Now I will tell you about myself. I am a Dajjal.
I will soon be permitted to leave this place. I will emerge and travel about the earth. In 40 nights, I will pass through every town except Mecca and Medina. For these days have been for, for these places have been forbidden to me. Every time I try to enter either of them, I will be met by an angel bearing an unsheathed sword who will prevent me from entering. There will be angels guarding them at every passage leading to them. So this is, remember, this is in many hadiths. So the Prophet ﷺ had been giving this information to Sahaba before about Dajjal, the 40 days that he will not enter Mecca and Medina. Remember, this is in many other narrations. So Fatima said the Prophet ﷺ struck the mimbar with his staff and said, this is Taiba, this is Taiba. Uh, this is the city that was mentioned, uh, you know. So Taiba is a name of Medina and Yathrib. This is why we also know it as Taiba. So then the Prophet said, I like this account given to me by Tamim because it agrees with that which I've told you about Dajjal and about Makkah and Medina. Indeed, he is in the Syrian Sea or the Yemen Sea. No, on the contrary, he is in the east. He is in the east. He is in the east. And he pointed towards the east. Fatima said, I memorized this from the Prophet So remember, this is one of those things we talked about before, about the Hadith sciences. Um, that when a Sahaba, this is quite rare, where a Sahabi will actually say, I memorized this uh, from the Prophet. It means what they're trying to say is, this is, you know, I've, I've, I've really, this is accurate, you know. So what does the Quran say about the beast itself? <coughs> Now, the beast is mentioned in only one ayah of the Quran, just one ayah, explicitly. Um, so it's, it's obviously very, you know, that obviously that's the Quran, you know, it's just, we have to just look at that ayah very carefully. Um, Yajuj and Majuj are mentioned in a few ayahs of Quran that we're going to do next time, inshallah. Um, but the Da Batul Ard is only mentioned this one single ayah. Uh, and this is what it says. A'udhu billahi bin shaitanir rajeem Wa idha waqa'a al-qawlu alayhim akhrajna lahum dabatan min al-ard tukallimuhum anna al-nasa kanu bi-ayatina la and there's a couple of variant readings. As you know, there are seven uh, variant readings of the Quran uh, and, and ten if you take more subtle variants as well. So in the variant reading is, is significant here because in one of the main other variant readings it says Instead of it says so tukallimuhum means he will, the, the beast will speak to them. Uh, but takalimuhum means that the beast will mark them or strike them. And so it's a different meaning with the other reading. Uh, and then anna nas, anna, it can also be read inna, which is a subtle difference. Uh, but for the meaning, it's, it's, you know, there's a different difference in the meaning. Because if we say Annanas, 
Anna means that. Uh, for those who study Arabic, they'll know. Um, it sort of means that, for that, or in that. It's sort of like an explanation of the thing before. Yeah? But if we read it inna, which is a variant reading, it becomes a new sentence. Muqtada. Uh, um, so it becomes uh, completely separated to the previous. It's a new sentence. Inna, uh, often translated as verily or surely. Yeah. Surely mankind were, did not have certainty in our signs. So this is how the ayah reads. Um, so the translation, either waqa al-qawlu alayhim, when the word al-qawl is fulfilled, or literally waqa means to occur, to take place, to happen. Either waqa'at al-waqi'ah, from Surah al-waqi'ah, when the Waqa'a happens when this thing happens. So, what does it mean? Waqa'a al qawlu alayhim. When the word, when the word is fulfilled against them, against them, alayhim, meaning mankind. Yeah. We will raise up for them. A beast from the earth. Right? Uh, the interesting thing here is Lahum, Lahum, Akhrajna Lahum. We will raise up for them, not against them. It's very important, little difference in Arabic. Lahum or Alayhim. Yeah? When we say Lahum, it means it's for you. It's for you. Uh, so if I said Al-Qalamu Lahu, this pen is his, it's for him, he belongs to him, it's for him. If you say Alayhim, it means against them. Because yeah, we often, the reason why I'm talking about what I'm saying is we often conceive of the beast as some sort of monster that's going to go around destroying people or destroying the earth. You probably, I imagine, you probably conjure up some sort of big Godzilla type of creature in your mind yeah that's going to come out of the earth and go and smash people over the heads but this is the thing it says lahum it doesn't say that the beast will be against them it will be for them yeah. it will speak to them it will mark them or strike them uh, you know, kalim is the is is what you do with a knife when you strike someone. Uh, well, reason it could mean mark, as we'll see. Many of the hadith mention mark that the beast will mark people. You know, mu'min or believer or disbeliever. So this could be directly linked to that. If we read it, taklimuhum, it will mark them. Um, it could be because or, or that mankind did not have certainty in our signs. Or as we said, it could be read in the Nasa as a new sentence. Surely mankind did not have certainty in our signs.
These ayahs don't just come out of, uh, out of context, you know, there's always a surah that they are contained within. So really good, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, I don't have time to go into that today, but uh, it's a vital thing for people for further research and reading, you know. You know? But it's very important because um, surahs, the Quran has come down in surahs. This is why I always um, encourage people, when you even read the Quran for yourself, read it in surahs, don't read it in juz or saparas as it's known. Now, that's my personal um, that's my personal recommendation um, because when you divide the Quran into separa or Jews, it's very, it's arbit completely arbitrary. It wasn't done by the Prophet you know, that way. The way the Prophet has is revealed in surahs, uh, chapters, you know, as they translated chapters, and that, there, there's a there's a beginning, middle, and end for a surah. Um, and each surah is unique and different if you read them, you know. Uh, they have their own, even style, and uh, many, many different uh, layers to that, you know. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, I, I can't um, give you the context now, but that's something for people to, when they study this topic further, to, to also look at the context of this. Um, So, if you look at um, other, when we do tafsir of Quran, the, the first principle of tafsir is to do tafsir of Quran by Quran. The first thing we do, what, what does it mean, the word will be fulfilled? What does that mean? We don't know. So, the first thing we should do is try to find elsewhere in the Quran that talks about al-qawl, the word. What does it mean, the word? Right? So if you look elsewhere in the Quran, what you find is that this is referring to when Allah has decided to punish a people. Yeah. And once again, I haven't cross-referenced that, but people, you know, you can, uh, I, I did that um, little bit of uh, um, cross-referencing in the Quran. You can easily do that nowadays, yeah? With simple search engine, uh, you can find where else is it written in the Quran, Al-Qawl. And you'll find... That waqa' al-qawl means when Allah has decided to punish a people, like the people of Ad or the people of Tamud, there comes a point where they're given signs, they're given uh, opportunities. But at a certain point, then Allah decides, and this is, you know, in, in many of the stories in the Quran, Allah says, no, that's it now. The punishment is going to come upon them. But it doesn't come straight away. It may come after a few days. Or some time, yeah. Like for example, even with Nuh salam, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala said to him, "Now that's it. None of these people are going to believe now. You know, the punishment is due upon them." Similarly, with the other prophets as well. You know, that's it. The punishment is now binding. Their time is up. Then they then they have this period, yeah, before the actual punishment comes and destroys them. So this is uh, as far, this is you know the understanding that I have is that when Allah has decided that these people's time has come, now the punishment is due upon them. Then we will raise for them a beast from that for them, not against them. 
So most opinions that this will occur when people stop commanding the good and forbidding the wrong. One of the great principles of our deen, yeah? Now we have to Amr bil Maruf or Nahi al-Munkar. So when we come across a time, uh, mankind generally, where that is no longer being done. Uh, most opinions converge that the beast will mark all the people, all the people. No one will escape. It will mark them believer or disbeliever. So this beast will literally mark every single human being. Every single human being. Yeah? This is pretty much all the different tafsirs and hadiths, everything you read. They all have this in common, this theme in common. Uh, it will mark them mu'min or kafir. Is it a like, physical marking on the actual person or could it be something like, because, for like, example, like, oh, you have your ID card, you can have your ID card, you can have your ID card, you can because nowadays people hack into things and put certain images or watermarks into things, could it not be... Yes, uh, that's, that's what I, I think it could be, well, it could well be. I, I personally don't believe it's a physical mark. Um, to Kalimuhum Taklimu, we've talk, talked about this particular thing. Yeah, so as we're going to go on to, you know, the, if you look at the society we're in now, how everyone is already marked. You know, this is where the society is going. And uh, this is an explicit objective of people like the, the, the US uh, intelligence agencies and so on that every single human on this planet should be marked, they should be known, we should have data about them. So this is exactly what we're going to argue yeah, later on. Um, uh, we talked about Innan Nas, and we've talked about the striking Taklimuhum. Now, if we look at some of the hadith about the Daba, this particular ayah, as we said, there's only one ayah, where the Da'batul Ard is mentioned. Uh, what do we find in the tafsir, various tafsirs? Uh, so this is tafsir al-Baghawi. It will emerge against them. Against them, because he's put there, alayhim, not lahum, alayhim. Yeah? He's put against them. Can you see that subtle difference? It will emerge against them, uh, shaking its head from dust. Then it will pass by them and shine their faces until it leaves them like shining stars. Then it will turn about the earth, no one can catch it and no one can escape it. So once again this idea that it will mark every single human being on the planet. Until a person will stand and seek refuge, refuge that should be, from it by prayer. But it will come to him from behind and say, oh so and so, now you turn to prayer? So similarly, the idea that this will come at a time when it's too late to make your toba. Then he approaches it and it marks him in the face. Then it will accompany people in their homes. So this beast will enter the home of every single person on the planet. And stay with them in their journeys. It will be with them wherever they go. And share in their wealth. It will somehow share in their wealth. So. Just focus on the themes and the meanings, uh, rather than literal, I would say. Um, where did the 
Well, this is what we're going to come to later on, yeah. yeah. So, okay, I'll, I'll mention right now, you know, a lot of these information in these tafsir are from very weak sources. Let's put it that way. And when we go to tafsir of Imam al-Razi, you'll see he'll make that very explicit as well. That when we look at these description about the beast, we should be very careful. But I'm just putting them there so that uh, we know that they're there and you know that I know that they're there as well. Uh, but yeah, a lot of them. So we have, you know, one of the jobs, as we said last time when we were talking about methodology, is to try to find out what, what are the shared... Because if something is stated, even if it's weak, but it's stated everywhere, the same sort of theme comes up, then that makes it stronger, that, that particular point, you know. Uh, so in Tafsir al-Baghawi, another narration uh, says that the, the beast does not have a tail, but it has a beard. It is as if he is indicating that it is a man. However, the majority hold the opinion that it is a beast. In other words, that it's not a man. So you can see there's a lot of difference of opinion uh, in the tafsir about the nature of this beast. This is one of the sort of famous narrations, which once again is weak. And I think, you know, for me, it's just uh, random. You know, I, I, I would never have any say anything disrespectful about any hadith, but it's more like... Um, <coughs> You know, it's of the, the weaker category that doesn't, rationally doesn't seem to, um, you know, fit together to my head anyway. You know, like its head is like a bull, eyes like a pig, ears like an elephant, horns like a stag, neck of an ostrich, chest like a lion, color of a tiger, flanks of a cat, tail of a ram, feet and legs like a camel. I don't know if people have tried to draw this. <laughs> it would be interesting to... I want project for you, Samir, next project. When we do our next poster for the eschatology, we'll try to draw, the, <laughs> draw this beast <laughs> in this description. Uh, for me, that's a bit random, to be honest. Um, um, we, have our, we have to have our methodology. You know, the strongest is the Quran, then the Sahih. And then these type of narrations may be weak or very weak, or as you said, they might even be from Israeliyat. They may be even from uh, non-prophetic sources. It has not been validated in any other hadith, not even by another one. It's as Zubair reported. So I, I, don't, I don't think it's even attributed to the Prophet Sallallahu To be honest, I haven't looked into it deeply because for me it wasn't something to pursue. It, it could also be a culmination of essences, um, not literal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Could be, could be, yeah. It, what's the, it could be an idea there that it somehow will encompass in the faculties of all these creatures, you know? Yeah, could be. Not to be taken literally. Um, uh, what does Kurtubi say, one of the famous Mufassirun? He says, uh, there are huge differences of opinion regarding this beast and its description and its place of emergence. We're going to go into that later, the place of emergence. It is said that it is the Jasasa. And, and as I said, this is the opinion that I'm going to follow um, because I feel it fits into the other realities of what we're seeing. And that is the opinion of Abdullah ibn Omar. Uh, Abdullah ibn Omar is the son of Omar ibn al-Khattab. And as I say, 
considered, I mean, by consensus considered, uh, if not the most, but one of the few most knowledgeable of the younger Sahaba. If we go to Tafsir ibn Kathir, uh, he narrates from Ibn Majah, Buraida said, the Messenger of Allah took me to a place in the desert. This is a hadith about the emergence, a place of emergence that we're going to look at. Took me to a place in the desert close to Mecca. There was dry earth with sand around it. The Messenger of Allah said, the beast will emerge from this place. Then, Fa'idha fitr fi shibar. I mean, it's probably some sort of expression in Arabic. Fitr fi shibar literally means, uh, in today's terms, like centimeters in meters or inches in feet. Fitr is a measurement, and shibar is a measurement of you know, like a hand span. And fitr is a, me a measurement of like a finger span. Like the old uh, Allah alim, if there's another meaning of that. Um, Interesting thing here is about the dry earth with the sand. Um, as uh, as you will see, I'm going to argue uh, that the beast is actually the uh, surveillance systems, the computer systems that we have that are gathering data about everyone on the earth. So the computer internet systems. And we know that the computers are made of silicon, which is ultimately what sand, sand is made of silicon. And it's interesting that he explicitly mentions there that this was a sandy spot, right? And, you know, uh, contrary to most people's uh, opinions, deserts are not all sand, you know, Arabia is not all sand. Deserts are mainly dry earth. Yeah, and so actual sandy regions are quite few and far between uh, in in uh, the desert lands. Um, so this is something that uh, is, is not something that I've come up with, but actually I first took this from Sheikh Hamza Yusuf uh, about the um, the beast will come from silicon. It will be made from silicon, and uh, we'll mention where he mentions that later on. Um, so Hawlaha Ramal, he literally, he, he, he specifically says this was a, an earth which had sand around it. And, and the Prophet said, the beast will emerge from this place. But did he say from this place or did he say from this substance, in other words? You know, this is the sort of, uh, fan, uh, sort of, um, uh, what do you call it, the sort of tantalizing thing here, you know? Because in the, in the actual hadith it says, min hadil it will come from this place. But remember we said the hadith are narrated by meaning, not by precise wordings. Yeah? Uh, so could it, could it have been actually, because remember the, the, the Prophet ﷺ was, when he was telling the Sahaba things about Akhira Zaman, he had to, he, you know, it was way out of their frame of reference, you know? So this is you can easily see that little change taking place. Ibn Majah, so yeah. what's the scale of this? I'm not sure, I haven't checked the authenticity of it. Yeah. 
Uh, it's like, likely not to be the strongest, but maybe not the weakest. Or the other. Um, but yeah, the, the, the interesting thing is here is whether, you know, if, uh, what, happened, what actually happened? Did the Prophet point to the sand and say the beast will come from this? You know, and uh, the way the Sahabi took it was he will come out of this place. You know, Allah Alim, I don't know. It's uh, just um, one of those things, yeah. <laughs> the beast of the earth is the Jasasa. This is what Zamakhshari says in his tafsir. Uh, another one of the famous tafsirs. He is very, it's quite a brief tafsir, and he just says this. The beast is the Jasasa, which obviously I like that because he it would apply logic as well, though. Yes, those very correct. Yeah. Yeah. So Zamakshari is more of a rationalist, yeah. and uh, he was a Mu'tazilite as well. Mm. And we go to Tafsir of Fakhruddin al-Razi. Uh, this is one of the most extensive Tafsirs that we still have from the classical period. Um, obviously, Fakhruddin al-Razi, uh, one of the great scholars and uh, also theologians. Very, very precise, as you can, you, you would uh, expect from a theologian who's also a, a very rationalist um, scholar. So he, he basically says numerous opinions about the beast, its description, place of emergence, mode of emergence. Razi summarizes the various opinions and then he says, after giving all of these different opinions that we already mentioned before, he says, none of this is verified by the Quran about the beast being the head of a bull and all these things. So whatever of that can be reliably traced back to the Messenger of Allah, then it is accepted. Otherwise, no regard is to be paid to it. Yeah? So he's very explicit. And this goes back to, once again, the methodology which we were talking about last time. Right? Yes, these things are there, uh, all of these uh, descriptions and things. Uh, but if they're not reliable, they're not sahih, then I wouldn't say no regard, but we just take it very uh, carefully. Um, and, and certainly not, you know, Compare, compare it to the information we have from the Quran, which is tier one, obviously, and then the Sahih or Mutawatir. So, as I say, uh, the, the basic um, argument today is that the beast has emerged or is emerging in our lifetime. And this beast is actually made up of silicon. It is made up of network of computers around the world. And it's known as the internet. Okay. Okay, so, so the argument, central argument of today's lesson is, and for some of you this may be something completely new. Um, I'm not sure if you ever come across this before. It is quite... Um, like I say, I've drawn this, uh, Sheikh Hamza gave the hint of this, hint. He hasn't explicitly elaborated on it himself, but, you know, when he said it's silicon, you know, it was obvious what the hint was for someone to take that further, yeah? Um, so the, the, the beast, the argument today will be that the beast mentioned in the Quran is 
um, made up of what people are now calling artificial intelligence, right? So it's a beast that is made from silicon. And it's a beast that will speak or it will mark people. It will have each person's thing, you know, what is he, a believer, a disbeliever, all these things. Uh, so first, turning to the Jasasa aspect. Uh, so uh, as you've seen, many of the opinions uh, are around the fact that the beast is the Jasasa. And we already said Jasasa means literally the intensive form of spying. Uh, like we say, Alim is a man of knowledge. Allama is someone of very great knowledge. It's intensive in Arabic. So same with Jasasa. Jasasa is from the same uh, pattern as Allama. So not just a spy, but uh, extreme spying. Yeah? Spying to the extreme level. And we know now that we're in what people, scientists or social scientists are describing as a surveillance society. Everything is seen, everything is heard, everything is recorded about us. Yeah? I don't need to elaborate on that much. All of you know that, yeah? All of your emails, your phone calls, your text messages. There's no such thing as privacy, right? Uh, and, and especially for us that live in London, London is actually the most surveillance city in the world uh, in terms of cameras. Yeah? There's practically no spot in London, a public space in London, that you can't be seen by a camera. And now, obviously, with satellites, I mean, you can see everywhere, but uh, in London specifically, they have cameras everywhere. Uh, which they can, uh, you know, see you. Now, it's also mentioned in one of the hadith, which I didn't reference because I read it some years back. And um, unfortunately, I couldn't, I didn't jot down the reference, so I need to dig it back up. But it definitely said in one of them, when it talks about the beast is Jasasa, it says that this Jasasa will give information about all the people to Dajjal. That's the job of the Jasasa, right? The, 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 the spy master, let's call it spy master, right? Uh, intensive form of spy. The spy master will, gather, will have information about all human beings in the world and he will make that available to Dajjal. It's explicitly said that. Uh, and inshallah, I'm going to uh, dig up the reference to you guys uh, later. But you can see how it links up to the hadith of Tamim Dari that we mentioned before, that Jasasa was there, and then he sent them to Dajjal, right? Dajjal is the all-seeing eye. Don't forget the eye of Dajjal, that, that eye in the symbol, the Freemasonic symbol, which is taken up by the, in, on the seal of the United States of America. It's actually on the great seal of the Islam uh, of the United States of America, though it's also known as the all-seeing eye. The project is to see everything, measure everything, know about everyone. We'll give you um, references on that in the following slides. So the beast is the one that brings this information and makes it available to Dajjal. So Sheikh Hamza... As I say, he, he's someone who, who gives hints sometimes uh, and, and he leaves it for people to follow that up, you know. So he said this years back to me, or not to me directly, but in a group, you know. And, uh, he said, you know, it will come from silica. 
And he said that Bukhari has got a hadith in Tariq al-Kabir. So not in the Sahih, uh, Imam al-Bukhari has other books as well. One of his books, Tariq al-Kabir, it's a very extensive, long book. Uh, and Imam al-Bukhari, in those other works, he contains hadith which are not as strong. So in the Sahih al-Bukhari, he only collects the very strongest. But he has got other works where he's got other hadiths which are not as strong, you know, which he also narrates. Um, so apparently, he has a narration that the Prophet indicated that the beast will arise from silicon, silica in the earth. I haven't been able to find the, the actual narration in the Tariq al-Kabir myself, and I haven't been able to ask Sheikh Hamza for that, but Sheikh Hamza also mentions, uh, references it in his Imam al-Tahawi translation, which is in English, uh, which I'm got, I've got the reference in the next slide. Um, but as we said, you know, computers are made from silicon. So going back to that hadith, the very, the very tantalizing that the beast will emerge from this place. Was it from this place or was it from this? From this substance, in other words, you know? And that Sahabi has just narrated it according to his understanding. You see what I mean? You know, the beast had hair all over its body, so you, we could not tell the front from the back. Yeah? That's the whole point of the internet. There's no front or back. There's no head, there's no limbs. So this is what Imam uh, uh, Hamza Yusuf has written in the <coughs> Imam Tahawi, Creed of Imam Tahawi. I'm sure a lot of you have that translation of Sheikh Hamza, and you maybe never noticed this little point that he's written, a footnote on the beast, right? So this is one of his footnotes on page, there's a reference there, just by coincidence 66, <laughs> page number, footnote 66. Six, yeah. <laughs> so he says, the beast of the earth is an unprecedented creation that emerges from the substance silica, according to a hadith regarded in Bukhari's tarikh. Um, so you can see that Sheikh Hamza is there giving quite a uh, obvious hint uh, of what he's saying really, even though he doesn't um, explicitly say what he's trying to say. Um, uh, we mentioned artificial intelligence, now how, so, so, so we're seeing the emergence of this beast in our lifetime, it hasn't fully formed yet. <coughs> Uh, it's, it's happening over years. So this goes back to that hairy beast. We could not tell the front from the back. It was just hairy all over here. Yeah? yeah? A server tower with lots of wires coming out. Server. Server, server. yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like that, yes. Yeah. But you know, the, the point here is we could not tell its front from its back. The internet has no front or back. That was the whole point. Those who designed the internet, the military, US military designed it so that it could never be taken out. If something has a head, you take out the head and the thing is goes down. They wanted to uh, devise a system that had no one head, you know? So even if you take out that part of it, the rest of it will still function as a complete beast. Oh, sorry, I'm calling it beast, but as a complete uh, thing. Also, if we take that second reading, taklimuhum, strike them, yeah? 
So it will speak to them or it will strike them. Now we have got the internet, you know, the drones, smart bombs. I mean, this is in, in 10, 20 years time, it's going to be robot wars. There's, there's no doubt about that. You know, that's exactly what they want. They want to have robot armies so they no longer have to put boots on the ground. I mean, this is Pentagon's dream since the end of World War II. This is what they've been, you know, gradually going towards. Um, so this beast that they're creating will literally strike down human beings as well. That's the other way. Remember I said Tatlimuhum can be a knife striking as well. Wounding. It can be wounding, not marking. So both ways uh, we have, um, you know, this uh, fulfillment of the, this beast. So then, you know, going on to, let's reflect about what is the meaning of beast itself? In Arabic, what does it mean when Allah says beast? So according to the dictionary's definition of beast, Daba, kullu ma yadibbu ala al-ard. A daba is any, anything that treads upon the earth is a daba. Because the, the, the root word for daba is daba yadibbu. To tread. Yeah, so it can be anything. Anything that moves or treads upon the earth is dab. So then if we look at it um, from a say more rational point of view, what is a beast? What is a, a beast that we think of? A beast is normally a living creature, right? What is a living creature? A living creature is, uh, you know, you have a brain or a central nervous system. Uh, not all creatures have brains because they're too small. They just may have a few. Uh, but they will have nerve cells, right? That, that's, how, um, that's how we basically um, live or communicate or uh, move through nerve cells, right? Central nervous system and peripheral. So your central nervous system in, in, in higher animals is called a brain. Because uh, there's so many nerve cells there, concentrated. Uh, but then you have, from, from the central nervous system, you have nerve cells going to every part of your body. Yeah? Every single part of your body has got nerve cells. Uh, apart from the places that are dead, like your hair or nails, they're dead, dead skin, dead cells. But anything that is alive will have the nervous system connected to it. Uh, and all of that connects back to the central nervous system, right? So there's a communication. Uh, quite fascinating how the cells, nerve cells in particular, how they communicate with each other. Right? Um, so, the, so the brain, the central nervous system, is made of uh, billions and billions, in fact trillions, of nerve cells. And each of those nerve cells uh, communicates with those around it. Not just with one interface, but with multiple interfaces, maybe hundreds, even thousands. Uh, and when we say trillions of brain cells, we're talking about more brain cells in your one person's brain than there are stars in the sky. Or than there are stars in the whole universe. So it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, such a high mind-boggling number of nerve cells that each human being has. 
that is, uh, is, is, is just um, beyond what we can conceive or imagine. And then if on top of that you factor that each nerve cell has got multiple connections to every other nerve cell, the level of um, complexity becomes uh, very, very, very high. So, and now actually they're finding, uh, latest research is, is, has found that within nerve cells, there's within one exactly, yeah, within one nerve cell, there's an immense degree of complexity as well. So that is just, you know, it just takes it to, the, to, to, a, to a level that we can't really get to. Um, but anyway, the point here is this um, internet that is being created has got very similar properties to these living beasts, right? Um, so the way computers work, uh, the way signals travel, you know, they're very similar to nerve cells. Often people think that these uh, signals are traveling through space, um, but the vast, vast majority of the signals uh, on, on the internet are traveling through cables, right, that go under the oceans, uh, underground. Um, so the, the amount of data that's traveling through space is very, very uh, less. Like from your smartphone, obviously it's going through space to the nearest tower or whatever. But from there it gets put into the cables. So you have, what you have in, in effect, what we're having now is um, lots of these individual computers, but they're all linked together. You know, And that's the vital thing. When they link together, they become... Uh, they communicate, you know, all these levels like nerve cells. Uh, so they become like one giant beast that has got this, you know, spread around the whole world, around the whole globe. Um, so there's so many different limbs to the beast. We talked about robots, you know, smart cars, drones. All, all of these, your smartphones are all linked in as well. All of our smartphones were all linked into the beast, right? Uh, what's the you know the big difference between a living creature and a in, and the internet is that living creatures have what consciousness, consciousness yeah consciousness and um, as a result of consciousness you have will free will this is the key difference between uh, the computer or the internet and a living creature, like a human being. Do animals have a free will? Would you say? Do animals have free will? Yeah. They have soul. Animals have soul, we know that. Limited. Limited will, yeah. I mean, generally speaking, we normally in our theology and everything, we say that it's human beings and jinn that have free will in terms of doing right and wrong. Yeah. Animals are more limited, aren't they? They. Well, like the super bird or the ant. Yes. I mean, they, they, animals definitely have communication with each other, and they they um, 
they seem to make choices in some way. But uh, they don't have a taklif, they don't have a responsibility to be good or bad, do they? So, so there's a difference between human and jinn and animals that animals are not, we don't say they're sinful, even if they go and kill another animal or do whatever they want, we, you know, they're not sinful. So it's interesting that, um, you know, there's a difference there. Um, but they do seem to make choices, I, I guess, really. Um, so consciousness is an important concept. It's, a, it's when a, a being becomes aware of itself. Yeah, a being is aware of itself. So um, computers, as far as we know, are not aware. They don't have any self-awareness. They're simply things that we have created that just move about as we tell them to, right? So they don't have any self-awareness. Um, uh, there are some theories out there, theories of artificial, artificial intelligence, or actually these are, these are theories of uh, brain and consciousness. Um, there is a theory that, because there's a lot of uh, speculation, how, why, why do some creatures become conscious? Why do we become self-aware, you know? Um, so one theory is that it's the level of complexity. The level of complexity of the human brain that, that we already talked about. Uh, actually, when you reach a certain, certain level of complexity, suddenly consciousness comes about. I'm not saying that's, I mean, just a theory. Um, I don't have an opinion on it. Uh, maybe it's true, maybe that's how Allah has made his sunnan, you know, that uh, a certain, that, that's why we have consciousness, because there's that complexity, Allah alam. So there, there are these theories that when, when the internet, because you can't talk about one computer, one computer will never reach the level of complexity of the human brain, not even close. You can't even envisage them building any computer ever that would even come close to even a fraction of the human brain, the complexity of the human brain. But when you look at the internet, you're looking at now billions of computers all linked together. Right? Billions, literally. You know, because nearly everyone now has a smartphone. People have personal computers. So we're talking billions of computers all linked together. There you're now, you're not really even still reaching the complexity of one human brain, but you're, you're sort of approaching the magnitude of a human brain, you know? You're still far away from a human brain, just one human brain. Um, especially, like I said, if you look at the nerve cell in the human brain, each ner even inside the nerve cell there's a, a massive degree of complexity that they're finding more and more about, intracellular complexity. But, um, so the, the, the theory is that when the global computer network or the internet, when it comes to a certain level of complexity, it will suddenly gain consciousness or self-awareness. People may have seen this in science fiction writing or science fiction films, yeah? <laughs> the Terminator, I don't want to mention, get too much, but like um, there's that Marvel movie of that, I can't remember what it was called, 
that he suddenly gets consciousness, right? Um, and uh, I think that was quite because it, that consciousness is the whole internet, you know, as a whole. We're not talking about one computer, but as a whole. That's quite a scary thought, and I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen or not. Um, but it's just an interesting theory that 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 uh, is out there. Carry on our uh, our uh, thing that we were talking about. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if this is a new idea for most people. Um, this is the first time I'm uh, putting it publicly uh, to a class. But it seems to me, it all seems to connect up and make sense. Uh, but obviously, you can come to your own conclusions and have time to think about it and digest it and everything. The, the World Wide Web is actually the program that runs the Internet. So the Internet is actually the computers all linked up around the world. And the Internet and the World Wide Web is the actual sort of software, the program. Um, so I don't, I don't know what's the best analogy between that and the brain, but the brain is like the internet, the heart, the, the, the nerves. But within the brain, actually, we have certain pre-programmed faculties. You've probably heard of the language faculty uh, in the human brain. I mean, it's pretty obvious, a pretty overwhelming evidence that brains, they have got certain things already programmed in there. For example, how to acquire language. Yeah, so that's the relationship between the World Wide Web and the Internet. Uh, an important thing, you know, Edward Snowden, people may remember back in uh, 2013, there was a massive scandal. Um, he was a guy who was just an employee in, this, I think, the CIA or the NSA. Uh, NSA, sorry, National Security Agency. He was not high up or anything. He was just, uh, you know, one of these guys that just doing like data crunching and everything. But he quickly realized that there were, you know, the, the amount of surveillance that was going on and tapping and spying on people, including Americans themselves. So it's not just other people, but their own population. Because ultimately, for them, people in power, uh, knowledge is control. Information is control. Um, the more they know about human beings inside their country and outside, uh, the more control uh, they will have. So he then went public, you know, he leaked massive amounts of stuff. It was a massive scam. He had to run away from America because they were going to probably lock him up and do all sorts of things. So he ended up seeking asylum in Europe and things like that. Um, Revealed numerous global surveillance programs, mainly run by, many run by the NSA. Don't forget the NSA is a national security agency, uh, one of the main intelligence gathering bodies within the, uh, within the White House. Uh, separate from the CIA and the Pentagon also has its own. Uh, but, you know, they're all linked together. The Five Eyes Intelligence Alliance. The Five Eyes, interestingly, these are the five Anglo speaking countries. So USA, Canada, Britain, Australia, and I think New Zealand was the fifth one, wasn't it? I think it's New Zealand. Um, that they've got a particularly very close cooperation to share intelligence, as they call it. Yeah? 
so this communication, I mean, obviously they have, they are directly getting information from telecommunication companies, your phone companies, um, your internet, you know, your Google and Yahoo and all these people. So this was why it was a scandal because, you know, they're not protecting your information and your data. They're sharing it with these government agencies. Um, so these were previously unknown details of how this uh, very close cooperation is taking place between these five different uh, intelligence uh, operations. Uh, PRISM. So this was approved by the US courts that these agencies could have direct access to Google and Yahoo accounts. You know, so massive issue here. I mean, even if, even if the courts had not allowed it, they would have been doing it anyway. But, the, you know, the fact that this was actually sanctioned by the, the court system. Secret court orders. Yeah? That phone records, millions of phone records should be handed over every day. So they're just gathering. And, and what the computer allows all of this information to be gathered, because no human beings could keep all this information. You couldn't keep it on paper files or no, no one person could. So, but the computer can store limitless information, you know, which can be then tapped into uh, on demand. Um, so then, you know, these sort of softwares that they were using, XKeyScore, collection of almost anything done on the internet. So the Guardian was one of the, the newspapers that Snowden was <coughs> revealing uh, all of this stuff too. I, sitting at my desk, could wiretap anyone, from you or your accountant to a federal judge or even the president, if I had whatever, the can't read personal email. Oh, personal email. So, you know, he was just, he was, just, he was shocked himself as a, as a citizen of the United States, and that's why he went public with all of this stuff. So NSA is paying US private tech companies for access to communication networks. So these, these, they were basically bribing them. These governments have got a huge amount of money, so billions of dollars are put in. Um, at the end of the day, these are companies, they want to make money. Yeah? So if, if you're going to pay us a few million, well, we you know, quietly just hand you the information that you need. You know, who's going to stop them? So this is an interesting quote here, NSA mission statement. This is, you know, you can publicly consume this. It's not hidden from the public if you looked it up. The NSA had plans for continued expansion of surveillance activities. The stated goal is to dramatically increase mastery of the global network and to acquire adversaries data from anyone, anytime, anywhere. See the way they, you know, the type of... Uh, language they use the rhetoric <clears throat> yeah collect it all process it all exploit it all partner it all sniff it all know it all <laughs> that's uh, that's literally what they they they're going towards yeah that's what they they they're they're, they're they're almost there i mean especially for us living in these western countries where we're very in, in connected into the digital system they, they know every single thing about us, you know, every single thing. From, you know, if you look at your NHS records, for example, your school records, 
you know. Uh, it was a scare. It was a, I, I was very uncomfortable as a psychiatrist. Back about 10, 15 years ago, this whole st thing started getting put into the databases, you know, people's personal histories. Because we used to see our patients. When I was a young psychiatrist, we used to see our patients very confidential, you know, because they're telling us very personal things about themselves, about their life, their childhood, upbringing. And we would make paper notes, you know, and we keep it very carefully filed away. No one can see them. But then about, you know, 15 years ago or so, this whole thing now, all the NHS has to go digital. We're not allowed to keep paper records anymore. So everything has to be put into the computer. And then everyone can access that. Anyone can access that. But so now, you know, everyone, everything about you is there within the computer, databases, wherever. If anyone wants to find out about you, anything about you, click of a button and this is going back to that key thing that I was emphasizing earlier in the Quran the eye of Quran it's not against them the beast that rises up is for them that's a classic in the Orwellian type of thing isn't it we're doing all of this to protect you the citizens we are protecting you all you know it's a scary it's a bit ominous really this is for your own good you know we're here to look after you, give you entertainment, let you enjoy yourselves, but just don't think the wrong things. Yeah. Then, you know, uh, in my period of reflection upon this beast, the Bible, remember when we talked about our methodology, that there is stuff in previous revelations in the Bible, for example. You know how I talked about how if we compare stories in the Quran with stories in the Bible, you find a a high degree of uh, similarity, you know, even the stories of Musa and the other prophets. So that led me to think that there's still a lot of truth within these previous revelations. Obviously, we cannot know what is accurate or what is not accurate unless the Quran confirms it. And so we take it almost like a very, very weak hadith, you could put it, you know, on that level. That, okay, it's there, you know, but it, can, it could be of interest, you know could be of interest to see what was written. Um, so what does the Bible say about the beast? Because the Quran only has got that one ayah, you know, that one ayah. Sorry, I've gone into a sort of first-person narrative for some reason there. Um, so this is what the, the, the revelations the, the, um, in the Bible has got quite a lot of stuff about the beast. Um, then I saw another beast rising from the earth. This beast had two horns like a lamb, but spoke like a dragon. And this beast exercised all the authority of the first beast. So there's two beasts. And caused the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast. So the second beast causes everyone on the earth to worship the first beast. So you could see a parallel here between the Dajjal who is going to claim to be God uh, ultimately, and then this second beast, you know, the Jasasa. And the second beast performed great signs to cause even fire from heaven to come down to earth in the presence of the people. Because of the signs it was given to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived those who dwell on the earth, telling them to take, make an image to the beast that had been wounded by the sword and yet had lived. The second beast was permitted to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship it to be killed.
Um, what I'm suggesting is perhaps the first beast here could be the Dajjal and second beast could be the Jasasa. It seems to have some correlation. So then it talks about the mark of the beast. The second beast required all people, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on the right hand of their forehead. So this seems very close to the Quran, yeah. especially the Hadith, which said everyone will be marked by this beast, the second beast. So that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark. So very interesting, you know, how we're now all swiping our cards, yeah? I mean, this is, some. once again, this would be out of frame of reference of people in the past, you know, completely out. How could you envisage everyone in the world buying and selling with one mark or one number? So that is absolutely interesting, yeah? That no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, the name of the beast or the number of its name. Imagine the frames of reference, but now for us it's an everyday reality, right? We're literally using the numbers to, to, to buy and sell. And here is a call for wisdom. Let the one who has insight calculate the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man and the number is 666. So the number 666, you all watched Amen, right? Yeah, there's so many different... Obviously, people have thought about this for centuries. You know, what is this 666? What is that number signify, etc.? The two beasts are aligned with the dragon in opposition to God. They persecute the saints. This is not now quoting Bible, but this is about, you know, what it is. They persecute saints and those who do not worship the image of the beast of the sea and influence the kings of the earth to gather for the battle of Armageddon. The two beasts are defeated by Christ and are thrown into the lake of the fire. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understood the calculated number of beasts is number of a man, number 666. So I was thinking about this 666 myself. And uh, one day, a few years back, and I was thinking, because, you know, letters have, in Arabic, letters have numbers corresponding to them. And um, I thought, well, it's a Semitic language. Maybe the Hebrew, because obviously the original language of uh, the Bible is Hebrew. Maybe the Hebrew also has letters. So I just Google searched and found out that was true. Like the Arabic has letters corresponding to. This is an ancient thing as well. It's from before Islam. The Arabic alphabet was Abjadiyya. You know, it's, 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 it's got certain numbers for certain letters. And uh, it turns out that the Hebrew also has letters. And this was, I found, I was quite shocked when I came out. The number six is W. <laughs> the number six is actually W. No. It's Wa, Wa. Well, we have the Wow in Arabic. Yeah, but so 666 six, six is literally W, W, W. Well, they probably do. That's what I'm saying. There's so many different ways people have looked at it and tried to think what's going on and all that. Um, but I, I was like, whoa, God, this is like 666-WWW. This is, look it up for yourselves, but that's, 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 that's a fact. In the he Hebrew numerology. So, yeah, that was, um, I thought, subhanAllah, you know, is it just another coincidence, you know? And finally, so if we just recap back on today's lesson. Obviously, this, you know, for, for, for many people, maybe slightly reorientating your ideas about the beast that you may have had before. 
Um, but what I would say is, um, <coughs> look at the alternatives, you know. If we're saying, let's say the beast is not uh, the global computer, internet, and what, if you take it literally, you know, do, do you, is, is, let's say it's a, that hairy beast, you know, that you're saying there's a hairy beast. How, is it, is it conceivable, rational, that there will be a hairy beast that will be marking 7 billion people going into all their homes, you know, they'll be going into all of their homes, they'll be, you know, um, sharing with their wealth, you know, is it conceivable that can be taken literally? Of course, anything is possible with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of course, yeah, yeah, definitely. So that, that's something to think about, you know. Um, is it going to be some sort of big, hairy, Godzilla type of monster that's going to go around talking to everyone? Or, uh, you know, is it this thing that we've already got in front of us that we've seen? Is this what Sheikh Imran thinks as well? No. No, he doesn't. Shaq has got to come different. Yeah, we were coming to that point where you cannot buy or sell without the number, you know? Because Sheikh Imran said he was on the aeroplane and they wanted it. he wanted some water. He must have been on one of these cheap flights that they have, you have to buy it. And they said you have to pay for the water. and uh, But they wouldn't take cash, you know? They wouldn't take cash. So, so it's coming that way. I mean, you know, you're not going to... Who, how many of us carry cash now anyway? No, no one does. Yeah, we're all just swiping with the number. So, you know, I, mean, I think there's a... This is, the, this, is the, this is my argument anyway. Um, as I say, as far as I know, this is a, 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 a new uh, interpretation, or this is the first time I've presented it publicly. And um, however, you know, the hint came from Sheikh Hamza Yusuf. I don't know if he himself has elaborated on that, you know, but it's, it's obviously a very direct hint that it's from silica, you know. But this is a physical beast that we're talking about. You know, it's a physical beast. It's going to be killing people. It's killing people. It's marking people. Um, the question of consciousness, again, like if you look at animals, I mean, this beast is not close to a human being, as we said, but it might be close to, say, an ant or a fly which have got much simpler nervous systems, but they are living beasts, they are beast dabas, you know. So it's, it's, it's almost identical, really. So that's the beast. So we have one left, Yajuj and Majuj. Please bear it through, inshallah. Come to the next class. Uh, it will be in High Wycombe. Then we're finished. It's uh, been a, I feel it's been a journey, you know, a long journey together since we started the first history course. And for me, it's a big journey as well because um, this is the first time I'm teaching this eschatology, which I've wanted to teach uh, for a long time. But, uh, <laughs> I'm <laughs> <laughs>